Our Father in heaven, Lord, I, I love this moment in our worship gatherings. I won't hide it. This is my favorite thing on the planet to do. And I thank you for the rich, rich privilege, not only of the Bible and not only of preaching, but to preach to people that I love very, very much. Lord, I thank you for this congregation that calls week in, week out, as the congregation in Nehemiah 8 did, and says, bring out the book. Lord, we want to hear you speak right now. And that's a challenge because we're coming to a passage that we've got some familiarity in and perhaps some facility with, and that can be dangerous. Would you please help us not to assume we have 1 Corinthians 13 all squared away, but we would come hungry and open and ready to hear something fresh coming off this ancient text. You can do it, Holy Spirit. Come and do something wonderfully unique and powerful with these next moments. We ask this for the glory of Jesus, for the building up of your church, and for the ingathering of of all of your sheep. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, if you haven't done so, I'll invite you to open a Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, If you wanted to use one of the red Bibles in the seats, uh, there would be one available for you, and the text is on page uh, 959. It goes on to 960 in the red Bibles, but 959 is where we're going to start in those burgundy-colored Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know, one of the more interesting uh, patterns to watch in our culture, I think, is the emergence and the seeming explosion of the popularity of certain holidays. Uh, it seems to sort of gathered steam over the years. Um, of course, Christmas is one of the most obvious, um, but another holiday that just in my 36 years that has made leaps and bounds in popularity would be Halloween. I'm seeing things now at 36 that I didn't see at 6 with reference to Halloween. Uh, Each year, the financial investment and the cultural interest in October 31st has grown in this country. It's interesting to note. Not sure all the reasons for that. Um, And then there's a holiday like Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is an interesting one because, of course, there's, there's no other holiday in the calendar year that actually single-handedly keeps the greeting card industry operating in the black like Valentine's Day is. That is Black Friday, right, for Hallmark and for other such businesses. Um, Interestingly, Valentine's Day, I was studying this week, it actually has roots that go back over millennia. Uh, It's a holiday that's actually emerging with popularity uh, throughout the world. One example would be in, in Southeast Europe, where I had the privilege to be last month, um, one of the individuals in Macedonia who befriended me was uh, a man named Herbert. We would say Herbert in English. Herbert and his wife Patricia. Um, Herbert and Patricia live in Tetovo. It's a city about 45 minutes away from uh, the capital of Macedonia, Skopje. Tetovo is a city of about 80,000 ethnic Albanians. 99% of them are Muslim in their religious convictions. And Herbert and his wife, as well as one other international couple, are the only Christians in the entire city. 
This is what we call an unreached people group. Not one single ethnic believer among 80,000 ethnic Albanians in Tetovo, Macedonia today. So Herbert and three others would like to see a church planted. They are committed to seeking creative ways to make Jesus known to these people. And and as I mentioned, Valentine's Day is is taking off in popularity in southeastern Europe, and Tetovo is no exception. Um, But it's interesting. Unlike in our culture, the climate between genders in a Muslim um, area is is quite different than than the gender uh, dynamic that we have here in the West. Men and women do most all of their social mixing separately, and that would include Valentine's Day. Okay? So Herbert told me a story. Uh, Herbert uh, found himself on Valentine's Day at a coffee bar with a group of Muslim men. And he is a passionate follower of Christ, and that is his reason to exist, is to introduce the people of Tetovo to Jesus. So on Valentine's Day, he took a chance. He said, gentlemen, I have something for us in view of the holiday today. How would you like to hear some lines of ancient verse on today's theme? And they said, we'd love to hear it. So Herbert looked down at what he had in front of him, and he said, gentlemen, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have and even my body to be burned, if I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Well, when Herbert was done with the reading, these Albanian Muslim men were floored. They had never heard anything like this, nor heard this at all. And they said to him, Herbert, that's beautiful. Did you write it? <laughs> he said, no, that's, that's from the Bible. And they said, we'd love a copy of this. He said, I've brought them along. And he pulls out <laughs> six copies and passes it out to these men who had never heard 1 Corinthians 13 before. And here we are, with all of our privilege. I suppose there's a person in this room today that's never heard those words before. It's possible. It's just not probable. If you've been to an American wedding, you've heard those words. But 45 minutes from where our dear friends Brian and Debbie Stout live, those words about love are currently totally unknown today. An unreached people group. But as soon as those words were known, they began changing men's hearts. Love does that, you know. Just hearing about the real thing can melt you. Um, It's a little sappy, but I have to go there. Um, In 1979, uh, playwright Andrew Lloyd Webber 
composed most of the music uh, for a show that became known as Aspects of Love. It was finally released uh, in London in 1989, a decade later. Aspects of Love opened up to just rave reviews. It was 1,300 shows in a row before it came to Broadway. And the lead piece of music in that song, or in in that show, is a song entitled Love Changes Everything. And if you wanted to go onto YouTube, not right now, if you have a handheld device, but if you want to go onto YouTube, put in Love Changes Everything, Michael Ball. And you can hear him just as fresh as 1989 sing that song. And uh, I will exercise extreme restraint and not perform my own rendition right now. But it's a great song. The title says it all. Love changes everything. So here's the big idea of this week's sermon. It's the same as last week's, but it's flipped around. Everyone will know that we are Christ's disciples if... We have love for one another. Everyone will know that we are Christ's disciples if we have love for one another. Those are the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. The Lord says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if You have love for one another. Now, last week I argued mainly through the use of the community group study questions that love is something on the order of happy, hard, help. That's my definition of love these days. Happy, hard, help. That is, for my joy, uh, at significant cost to me, bringing aid or assistance to someone else. Happy, hard, help. And the only thing that I would do to modify that definition at this point is to add one phrase. For the glory of Christ. Happy, hard, help. For the glory of Christ. That Christ would be known is the point of our love for one another. That's exactly the point of this week's community group study questions with the help of Francis Schaeffer will drive home, and I encourage you to look at those. Um, But that's what Jesus is saying in John 13, 34, and and 35. Love is happy, hard help for the glory of Christ. Everyone will know that we are Christ's disciples if, and that's a big if, if we have love for one another. If we do not have love for one another, no one will know that we follow Jesus. So 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to begin to dig deep into a positive, forward-thinking definition of what love is, or at least a picture of what love is. And just so we know, this chapter is so pivotal for us that we're going to end up taking two weeks to study it. As I was preparing this weekend, uh, it'll be too trite if we try to do this all in one Sunday. So we'll take two Sundays, we'll get through about verse 5, Lord willing, and we'll just put a comma uh, in this sermon and we'll pick it up next week. Point one and part of point two is is our focus today. It's too important to rush. So here's the first of three points for this week and next. Point number one, no matter how gifted we are, if we do not love one another, our gifts are worthless. No matter how gifted we are, if we do not love one another, our gifts are worthless. 
As often as we're tempted to do so, we should never wrench 1 Corinthians 13 or any other chapter from its appointed context. Chapters 12 and 14 give chapter 13 its meaning here. As I've said before in different settings while preaching this chapter, uh, as in the field of, of real estate, so in the study of sacred scripture. What's the most important baseline in real estate? Location, location, location. Same thing with 1 Corinthians 13. This love chapter is right in the middle of a discussion about spiritual gifts in the life of the local church. In these first three verses of chapter 13, Paul is still talking about gifts. You notice that? That's why this sounds really weird at a wedding sometimes. Chapter 13, verse 1, he mentions tongues. Uh, Chapter 13, verse 2, prophecy, knowledge, faith. Verse 3, there's giving, both financial and martyrdom. Okay? So that we can... Stay on message this morning. Just know I'm going to completely punt on the question of miraculous gifts today. I'm not even going to touch it. But when we do preach through 1 Corinthians, and we will one day, and when we do make a full-scale study of the cessation versus continuation debate regarding the miraculous gifts, it is of shattering importance that we come out on the other side of that study with a deep and abiding love for one another. Because that's the reason 1 Corinthians 13 was given in the first place. Something's gone radically wrong if we don't love each other more once we get on the other side of that study. The Evangelical Free Church of America has never been in the business of dividing over the issue of miraculous gifts. So what we're after here instead is the broader issue of how Paul describes love and then in passing love's relationship to to spiritual gifts. So no matter where we might come down on this certain issue... Uh, It is abundantly clear from the first three verses that no matter how gifted we are, if we don't love for one another, our our gifts are worthless. Verse 1 says that you are a nuisance if you aren't loving in the church. Verse 2 says you are nothing if you don't love in the church. Verse 3 says you gain nothing. That's awfully strong language, isn't it? A nuisance. That's what verse 1 says. Without love, spiritual gifting is a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, a pain, a a headache-producing presence. You're in the kitchen uh, working through paying the bills, and the toddler is in the other room banging, banging, banging on something. And you say, for the love of all that's holy, please stop. Please stop. That's the sound that we're talking about. Our gifting, whether it's verbal or otherwise, without love, is annoying in the church without love. Noisy gong, clanging cymbal. And you won't hear me say this very often, but the translation here in the ESV is not as precise as it could be. Uh, Verse 1, Paul uses a verb in the perfect tense. So it's not just that if I'm gifted without love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. ESV doesn't go far enough here. The King James nails it, though, awkwardly. King James says, I am become. Or NASB or New King James both get it when they say, I have become a noisy gong. The difference isn't small. The difference is one of constancy. Um, One author comments here. 
if my action of exercising my spiritual gifts without, uh, sorry, as, my, as if my action of exercising my spiritual gifts without love has a permanent effect on me and has diminished my value and transformed me into something that I should not be. I have become that nuisance. An ongoing effect. I am nothing, I gain nothing without love. Without Christ-like character, uh, whatever my convictions are, whatever my competencies are, they are insignificant and useless. Without love in a church, at best, I hold other people hostage with my gifts. And it doesn't really matter what you do. You might preach or teach or uh, organize or clean things. You might cut checks or receive them. But without love, uh, whatever you're doing puts people in a very, very awkward situation. Your service becomes a power play without love. It hurts the church in incalculable ways to serve without love. So verses 1 to 3 uh, speak of many different ways of serving in the church. Notice it. Speaking in tongues, giving words of prophecy, exercising knowledge, having faith, giving of resources, even martyrdom. Six different expressions of ministry. But just take away one thing and all six have become null and void. Um, one resource I read says six minus one equals zero. Okay, that's how important love is. If we do not love one another, our gifts are worthless. Okay, second point today. Everyone will know that we are Christ's disciples if we have love for one another. So, let's be painstakingly practical about what love for one another is and is not. Let's be painstakingly practical about what love for one another is or is not. Or rather, what love looks like. Paul's never going to define love, but he is going to describe it 16 times in this paragraph. Uh, Verses 4 to 7 are really without equal in the Bible. Paul describes Christian love 16 different ways. Uh, Seven of them are positive descriptions of love. The other nine are negative descriptions of love. Let's walk through the first six of them today. I think that's about probably all we can take. The first pair of descriptors are found in verse 4, and and they're positive. Love is patient and kind. Love is patient and kind. First of all, love is is patient. It's a word that's been, I think, most faithfully translated in English, long-suffering. That's what love is. Long-suffering. So the biblical idea of patience involves not simply waiting, It's the idea of bearing up under pain that others inflict on you over a period of time. Long-suffering. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. The reason why I quote that is because uh, the, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, takes that phrase slow to anger in our version and actually translates it as patience. The, the word that Paul uses here for patience. So patience and slow to anger, same idea. 
Love is patient. Love is slow to anger. Love is willing, more than willing, to overlook minor offenses in the church. More than willing. The ministry of overlooking is what greases the skids in everyday life in the church. If you can't overlook minor sin, you can't love. You can't. We learned last week that we don't want to be people who gossip in the church. So we think, okay, what's, what do we do if gossip is not on the table for us? If confessing other people's sins is not okay, then what should I do? Well, there's overlooking sin. There's confessing sin. There's confronting others in their sin. You say, well, what if this were like a pie chart? What should get the biggest piece of the pie? Oh, overlooking, for sure. We should make a cottage industry in this church of overlooking minor offenses. Should we be involved in biblical conflict resolution? Yes, absolutely. But let's choose our battles wisely. Love is patient. Love suffers long. Second thing that Paul says love is, is he's kind. It's kind. Just thinking about it this week, kindness is so underrated. I don't hear much preaching on kindness. I've never read a book on kindness. It's very, very powerful. Kindness is is something that disarms one another. Kindness diffuses tension between people. Kindness has the ability to neutralize sin in a fellowship. Here's here's what I mean. So not only is love patient, love is able to, to suffer long overlooking offenses, love also responds with positive warmth and gentleness and benevolence toward cruelty. You say, well, that's absurd. (laughs) Perhaps. But that's also love. It's been a beautiful weekend, hasn't it? Just gorgeous. You know where else has been beautiful? I looked at the weather report in Pennsylvania and in Massachusetts where Kermit Gosnell and Zakhar Sarnayev are currently residing. The weather's been gorgeous over this weekend for these two men. Why are these two criminals enjoying a beautiful day, even through the window of their prison cells? Why are they even drawing oxygen? Because God is kind. They don't deserve that. God is kind. He makes his son, his son, to rise on the evil and the good, Jesus says. He sends rain on the just and the unjust, Matthew 5.45. So as we are kind to one another, we're simply imitating our heavenly Father. In fact, that's what Jesus says in Matthew 5.44. As we love even our enemies, we prove that we are sons of the heavenly Father. So love is kind and God is love. Let's be kind to each other. As my mentor, Lee Eklov, used to tell me, be kind, David, for everyone you meet is fighting a battle. Remember him saying that, Steve? It's good to see you today. Next pair, verse 4. 
Love does not envy or boast. Love does not envy or boast. One leads to the other. Do you know that? Some of the biggest blowhards in the world are those with a debilitating case of the green-eyed monster. If you're a boaster, uh, you will also be envy, will likely be at the, at the root of that. When we covet or when we envy, we crave something belonging to someone else that God has not given us. In his wisdom and in his sovereignty, he hasn't placed it into our hands. So we seethe with a desire of jealousy. And we boast or we brag about that which we do have so that we feel better about the little that we have. Uh, Boasting in this way is very typically very subtle. Um, Usually it's just about dropping clues here and there about how great we are. Uh, Princeton theologian Charles Hodge wrote, Love does not seek to win admiration and applause. Love doesn't do that. That's what Paul's saying here. And it's very convicting for as often as you and I spend our days seeking admiration and applause. Good night. It's very convicting. But we are thieving glory that rightly belongs to Christ when we boast of ourselves or we seek admiration and applause. It's not loving. Let the one who boasts, Paul says, boast in the Lord. So love does not envy or boast. In a similar vein, verse 4 says, love is not arrogant. Love is not arrogant. Uh, Paul uses a a wonderfully vivid word here uh, that in English translation is probably best captured with the old phrase, puffed up. Love isn't puffed up. So I'm I'm thinking of finding Nemo and that that blowfish, right? Right? That's what puffed up is. It's related to boasting. Those who boast are those who seek to win admiration and applause. Those who are arrogant are puffed up. They literally have an inflated view of themselves. They think they are a bargain for the church. They are mistaken. And it sounds funny, but it's actually, it's very, very sad. A puffed up person is actually very, very lonely. Very lonely, craving attention. This is where friends come in handy, actually. Because all of us need people around us who are not impressed with us, who just simply shoot straight with us about what they see in us. They tell us like it is. They're friends, not fans. Friends, good ones, serve to deflate us appropriately. Kids do that too. Fans puff us up, but friends burst our bubble when necessary. The puffed up person needs friends in the worst way. And that's what, if the church should be anything, it should be friends. Love is not arrogant. Love is humble. Love is modest. Love is unassuming. Love is unpretentious. And it has friends. Love is not arrogant. Verse 5 says, love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. This is the last pair that we'll look at. Love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. Love has manners, in other words. 
Love knows how to hold its tongue, for instance. Love doesn't have to get its own way. Love is is completely content letting others go first. Love is comfortable getting its schedule wrecked. Love doesn't stand on its rights. Now, the world does not know this. This is the way that the world operates. And so when the world can look on in a fellowship and see that actually happening here, it's wonderfully arresting. It's a game changer for an unbeliever to look in and on our fellowship and see us preferring one another before ourselves. Now, we have to be in close enough proximity for unbelievers to see it, but when this aspect of love is clicking on all cylinders, it can be wonderfully persuasive to someone who doesn't know Jesus because they're looking to see if we're real. Take the ministry of holding one's tongue, for instance. The ministry of holding one's tongue. It's actually a phrase I'm borrowing from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, I've quoted this before, but you've got to hear this again. This is one of the best sentences in his little book, Life Together. Uh, Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer quotes James uh, 119, which says, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. Right? Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. Bonhoeffer writes, Thus, it must be the decisive rule of every Christian fellowship that each individual is prohibited from saying much that occurs to him. That's huge. You mean I don't have to say everything that comes to my mind? Well, out of an overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, so be my guest. When you begin to get a hold of this, this has an impact. Love is not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. We don't have to straighten others out all the time. We don't have to offer our opinion all the time. It's not always relevant. My opinion may be far from relevant in any given situation. Love is quick to hear, very content to hear, slow to speak, slow to offer something, but not afraid to. Courageous to, if the situation calls for it. Love is content to be quick to hear, slow to speak. Love is not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. All right, that gets us about halfway through verse 5, and that's where we'll hold up our study. Next week, week we're going to pick things up right here in the middle of this verse. But we've got to make a connection to uh, our Savior here. If we stopped here, this would just be a sermon about how to behave. And this church is not just about learning how to behave. This church is about learning how we ought to behave in the light of the life, death, resurrection, and soon return of Jesus. That's what this church is about. And in 1 Peter 1.21, Peter calls us to, to love, and he says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. So there's Jesus as example. Very important. The bar is amazingly high for Christians. We should walk in his steps. But Jesus is not just our example. What about when we fail to love? What about then? What about when we are rude? What about when we do demand our own way? 
What about when we do puff ourselves up looking for commendation when we shouldn't go looking for it? Well, we keep reading 1 Peter. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you are healed. Amen? If you're with us today and you don't know Christ, please don't get the impression that this church is all about behavior modification. We are way too sinful for that to be the main project in this church. We are interested in looking into the eyes of our sinless Savior. And if you want to know more about what it means to follow him, Jesus as Lord, you have to know that he first comes to us as Savior. We don't get him as Lord unless we come to him as Savior. Jesus lived in your place. Jesus died in your place. Jesus was raised on the third day for you, and he is coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And if you want to know more of what that means, please come and talk to me. Dave Brickley will be down here in front to pray with you. One of our elders would love to, to pray with you. Uh, talk with people in this church about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ. And all of us who have begun a relationship with Christ, we need to take seriously Jesus' words in John 13. Everyone will know that we are Christ's disciples if we have love for one another. No matter how gifted we are, if we don't love for one another, our gifts are worthless. So let's be painstakingly practical about what love for one another is and what it is not. Love changes everything. Let's pray. Father in heaven, love is a miracle. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Anyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. I pray, Father, that you would help us as a church as we increasingly understand how very much you love us, I pray that we would soar upward in worship and love for you. And our very next step would be to the household of God, that our community would become the greatest defense for the lordship of Jesus that unbelieving people around us have ever seen. And that as we love one another, that our hearts would be breaking wide open with love for the world whom Jesus loves. Lord, the love of Christ compels us and controls us not to keep this blessing to ourselves, but to move outward. So as we move out into a week of mission, make us bold, make us filled with your spirit, make us filled with love to pursue our neighbors. In the spirit of Christ, we ask it. Amen.